Building Men is brought to you by Finish the Race Apparel, ftrapparel.com, the creators of all things Building Men, and by Become Stronger Industries, become-stronger.com, the creators of handmade steel maces, hammers, and other badass equipment. And so for us as men, a lot of us have this guilt that we just bury because we're never taught how to deal with it, how to answer to it, how to how to live from it. We, we, we want to punish ourselves because of stuff that we did, right? We just think it's what you got to do. And we never go, you know what? I want to be a better man. And I think what I need to do is guide myself better because of that guilt. And so while it may never completely disappear, it's, I mean, it may never go anywhere. I can damn well use it as a, a source of positivity in the future. <laughs> You're listening to the Building Men Podcast with Dennis and Anthony Miralda, brothers on a mission to help you become the strongest version of yourself mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. What is up, my brother? How you doing? How you feeling? I'm good, man. Oh, am I, am I not part of it? I know if it was brother because I'm black. I was like, is he brother? I don't know what's going on, man. And, it, and you're Anthony as well. He's I mean, a, a brother Anthony, a brother Anthony, both Anthony's were all. Yeah. I think I, I, like I, messed the in, I messed the intro up. I already, I already messed the podcast up. This is why, this, this is, is what we great. do well. We, he literally, so he comes to me and, and he's like, oh, by the way, I'm going to call you brother going into this because his name's Anthony too. So he'll know that I'm talking to you, my brother. And so he started off with that and then you answered too. Hey. <laughs> That's what we're at. Couldn't avoid it. They say that the, the path you take to avoid the thing is what you take to get to it. Beautiful. And we're just going to, we're rolling with it right now. Instead of doing our normal thing, we're going to, we're going to shift, so to speak, in this direction right there. I like, I like it. So let's start here then. I'll, we'll go in a little bit of a different direction. I wanted to start with just the idea of being present in a moment, total presence in a moment, because I'll tell you, Anthony, it was a year and a half ago, about, I was maybe a little bit longer than that. I was in a tough spot in my life. I was going through a divorce. Uh, there was a lot of depressive thoughts, a lot of dark thoughts. I'm a father of three, and I'm, my kids were the thing that were my buoy, my, my lighthouse. They were keeping me going. And I started following along with Brendan Burchard and what he was doing. And I have the high-performance planner that I was filling out every single day. And I log on to one of his free events and here you are. So I meet Anthony Trucks on this specific day and I started following along with the podcast. And at that time in my life, Building Men was just getting started. And I had this idea of what it could possibly be. And one of the things I thought about was, man, it would be really cool to interview Brendan Bouchard, to interview Dave Hollis, interview Anthony Trucks one day. It was a pipe dream back in the day. And now as I'm sitting here across the, the screen from you, I wanted to take a moment just to be present in this moment, truly appreciate the journey that building men has gone on that we are having a conversation right now. So I truly yeah, appreciate you being here. It's, I, I like it, man. You know, what's funny is I was, uh, I, I don't know who I talked to. I don't know who it was. Somehow you, you climb the ranks properly. Many people don't do this and you don't even know you did this. So a lot of people, they find ways to poke, poke, poke. And I, I divvy it off to my team, but there's something you did along the path that people have got to uncover as the, one of the reasons, one, you were committed to what you do. You post consistently. So I see my face. I'm like, oh, this guy, right? I see my face, you like cool podcasts. So there's that, that kind of, we'll call it goodwill built up. And then you, uh, you built multiple relationships that connected to this one somehow to where you now have my personal phone number. I don't know how you did it, man, but you did it right. Good job. Just don't send me any news. I don't need any news, bro. We'll be good. 
Yeah, I apologize for that one, by the way. It's it slipped out. It slipped out. Baby horse or something. <laughs> I wish it was a baby horse. <laughs> so our guest today, Anthony Trucks, is a husband, a father, a former Oregon Duck and NFL football player. He was a gym owner. He's an American Ninja Warrior. He's an author, a motivational speaker, a podcast host, and person who I consider to be uh, a mentor in this space that we share right now and um, truly appreciate you being on here. Anthony. so we'll, we'll start with first thing I got to know is the ducks. When you yeah. were coming out of high school, why did you choose Oregon? Why, why was it, why, why did, was that the school you decided to go to? Well, I actually committed to go to Washington state, the Palouse. Uh, they lied to me. They're like, we have warm snow. I was like, all right, bro. It's okay. <laughs> Same. But I went up there and loved the place. And then all the other schools I was looking at uh, that I called and canceled my trips to. Because when I was coming out, my mom and dad, they're not athletes. They, they weren't like, they had no idea what was going on. I was winging it at 18. And so I was like, uh, I took a trip to Washington State, loved it. And I called Michigan, Nebraska, like, hey, guys, I'm canceling my trips to go there. Because I love Washington State. Think about how stupid that sounded. Just if you heard that just now, right? You're like, what? Right. Um, and then the only school that wouldn't stop bothering was was uh, Oregon, Coach Aliotti. I was like, just to shut him up, I'm like, whatever, fine. I will take a trip and I go up there. I love Oregon. I come home, like I'm decommitting from there to go to Oregon. Now at the time, Oregon had just beat Colorado was number two in the country. And so obviously like, oh, big program doing well. Like that's the place you go. About two weeks before, this is 2002, by the way, before the uh, the USC run for like three natties or something, whatever it was, uh, two weeks before signing day, USC calls and goes, hey, want to offer you a scholarship? I'm like, no, I'm going to Oregon. And then future unfolded. Right. And the ducks, the uniforms are what, to me, that's what would drive, would drive me. They brand new uniforms every single game, the yeah. Nike. Didn't have it back then, though. Back then, so I got there before we had any any kind of cool locker room. I was there with these old, grungy, yellow, like high school lockers. That was a locker room. The stadium is just getting built, so that wasn't done. None of the stuff, none of what you see was there. We had these same, we had uh, a black and a white, or sorry, green and a white uniform, and that was it. I still have one of them. And then my senior year was the first time we donned anything, like for the most part, new. We had the year before put in the white, the highlighter yellow the green, but that was it. White, highlighter, yellow, and green. The very first black jersey ever donned was my senior year, our last game in Otset against uh, Oregon State. And so that was, the first, that was the first entrance to what you see now. Right. And we don't want to spend a ton of time talking about, you know, college football and then the NFL because of everything that you're, you're doing right now. But even watching, are, are you still a big fan of Oregon? Are you watching Justin Herbert yeah. and what he's doing? Are you like, Am I, that's all I, that's, yeah. I'm, that's what I'm a fan of. I'm a Duck fan. Everything else, it doesn't matter. It sucks. They, they Man, they packed it up mid-season this year. It was kind of sad to watch the end of the season. But yeah, man, that's the only team that I'm like, I'm not a pro team guy. I don't have anybody. I don't even, serious, this is going to be, many people don't know this. I played in the NFL. I still can't tell you the teams that are like NFC, AFC, none of that. I don't know. How stupid is that, right? I was telling my wife the other day, I'm like, she's like, hey, where are the Steelers in the NFC or the AFC? I'm like, a AFC, I think? Like, I just couldn't, I had to think back. And that's what I played for, right? So weird, but I'm a Duck fan, college fan through and through. That's amazing. Let's let's go back then to the to the origin story. You were, your upbringing, the, the number of times that you have made shifts happen in your life, and that's the name mm. of the podcast is off shift. The yep. number of times that you made shifts happen in your life, it started at such a young age. So just for the benefit of the audience, I'd love for you to just bring us through the origin story, through the, the foster situation, everything like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So for me, it was, uh, I was given away at three, entered the, the kind of crazy foster care system, which is not 
it's not kind to kids, man. It's, it was designed for just, I don't know, just people to, to be able to say that the kids are taken care of. We really weren't. So I was like beaten, starved, tortured. I was considered a paycheck. As long as I don't die, they get a paycheck for me. So that whole journey uh, sucked. For three years, I bounced around from home to home, experienced a lot of crazy, landed in my current family, which was an all white family, very, very poor. We didn't have much. And so uh, I, I grew up in that environment, a poor area, non-diverse, only black kid in my school and my family, like only guy for miles around was me. And so I had a whole bunch of weirdness to deal with growing up. And then at uh, 14 years old, 11 years later, I experienced a lot of crazy from my biological mom, not knowing my three siblings, like all this stuff. I got adopted at 14 and entered into a new world of like a, a brand new identity, right? I'd already had all these other ones from other stuff, but now it's new and of like, who in the world am I? Okay, I'm an adopted kid. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to play football. I'm not very good at football. Like I just had to find myself at a young age. And so for the first 14 years of my life, it was complete chaos. Like my normalcy was instability and chaos. And so for me, like, that's what I did. And uh, yeah, yeah, that was, that was the root foundation of it. The origin story, like my Batman, I came out of crazy. And growing up in a white family, you mentioned, you know, all this stuff that had gone on through foster care, growing up in a white family as a, as a young black man, how did that impact your identity? You talk a ton about identity. We'll, we'll definitely get into yeah. it today, but how did that initially impact your identity? Well, identity is this thing where it's, it's the programming of who you are, right? It's, it, if you think about it like a computer, it's programmed, right? There's the hardware, like the screen, everything. There's the programs, right? This is the things we're running right Zoom. But in life, our programs are like health, wealth, relationships, that stuff. But what allows any of it to work is the operating system. If I don't have iOS or I don't have Windows, I can't run the programs and I can't even see them with the hardware. So the identity is a thing we've been programmed with as kids, you know, teachers, preachers, coaches, leaders. It's always been kind of ingrained and we don't pay attention to it. It just comes in. So for me at that age, what was being programmed was you don't matter. You don't fit. You're not good enough. My mom gave me away, um, you know, just these weird things. So I'm being programmed to think that I don't deserve much. Uh, I'm not allowed to have much. And then like, I don't even have a home to call my home. Right. So I just, I was, when I say chaos and stability, that was my normalcy. Even the family I was with very, we're very dysfunctional. Like I, I want to make sure we're clear on that. It ain't like it's this beautiful. There's a lot of crazy in my family, but that's family. Right. And so that was norm to the extent of like I, when I, as I grew and started introducing myself to the rest of the world, it was odd to go to people's houses and like find peace in the household and joy. It felt uns like somebody yell. Can you, when you guys argue like it was weird. So that was the programming. So when I was a kid, that, that kind of racial difference was really big for me going I'm on my own, man, I got, I got to, if, if I don't get it myself, it's not going to come to my life. And a lot of our identity, it's you, Ask someone, oh, I'm, I'm a former NFL football player. I'm a ninja warrior. I'm a husband. I'm a father. One thing that you talk about, Anthony, is identity is who are you when you're not thinking about who you are? Yep. So I would ask you that same question. Who are you when you're not thinking that subconscious level? Who are you? As How would you define that? I don't know who any of us are, man. I don't know who I am. <laughs> this is, so this is something where listeners should hopefully get something from this. So there's this great book by Michael Singer called The Untethered Soul. There's a lot of depth of the concept of it, but essentially think about a moment in time when something happened and you went, why'd you do that? I don't know. Why would you do that? The conversation, right? The fact that you've had that conversation tells you that it's not just you in there. You are something, you're the one talking to the one that did the thing, right? So there's this kind of concept of who are you? What's that's you back there. And then when you describe yourself, someone says, well, who are you? I'm, I'm a dad. So you're a person that just creates other persons. 
You know, you just, you know, your person that tells other people like, no, okay, well, uh, what are, I, I guess I'm Anthony. So your collection of words, you're the noises that somebody says to get your attention. Like that's, you know, there's, there's something to it, but there's also such a non something to it. So when you ask who is Anthony, the best way I can do it is to say, I don't quite know, but if I was to let this guy describe who he is, I am a person who loves God, who loves my wife, loves my kids. And I love showing up for the world in a way that makes other people have joy in some manner. That's the best way I can explain it. Yeah. And it's especially former athletes. I, I really feel like we get stuck in this spot where our identities mm-hmm. for going through this journey that you just brought us up, up down were based on the sport. And so many guys are done playing the sport. And now their identity is attached to, I am a football player, I'm a baseball player, I'm a basketball player. And that yeah. is gone. Then who are you? There's the shell of who you formerly were. Oh yeah. Cause they do it wrong. They attach to the wrong things. There's a, uh, I got this little tree. I did this from, I look, I got a tree. There's a little tree I got here. I don't know if you can see it. So I got this tree and, and I explained to people that what ends up happening is we, we have created these things in life. We, we've put work and we got the fruit of our labor, right? For me at one point, the fruit of my labor was football. And what happens, you spend all your time, all your days doing that. You build this podcast, you build a marriage, like you build all these things. And then one day that thing disappears. It's, it's gone for whatever reason, whether it's by choice, I left the job, sold the business or by chance I got divorced, you know, which I have, and I left football, whatever I got hurt. You then are met with this moment of like, well, who am I without that? And when that question pops in, you don't have a definitive answer. It's you start spiraling. Victor Frankl calls it the existential vacuum. You know, it's this open hole of like, I don't know what to do with myself. So we fill it with drugs, sex, women, men, all this stuff. Right. And the reality is, We've never been that fruit. We always assume that we're the fruit of the labor. We're that, that football, that we're that, that job. And it fell off the tree. We fell off the tree and died. No, you've always been the tree. The tree created the fruits. It created the relationship, created the, the health, created the bit, whatever it created. And so if you go back and go, you know what? A tree, when it loses a fruit, doesn't die. It just creates more fruit. Okay, what can I do to help the tree create more fruit? And that's where you have to step away. And I'm not football. I'm the guy that, that played football, that was able to do that career. What does that guy have that create a better, sweeter fruit somewhere else in life? Well, let's go deep down into, into the that subconscious mind. And a lot of the things that you talked about as well are it's, it's about the ego. But you say ego is everyone's greatest obstacle. Mm-hmm. You talk about ego. So it's almost like you've done some research on me. It's kind of <laughs> weird. <laughs> I, have, I have listened to every single one of the Osha podcasts out there. It, Absolutely. And a lot, we've poached a lot of the guests from you. We've had Stevie Bags on. We had uh, just Shay Hillenbrand. We, we talked to recently. Oh, he's awesome. Absolutely. He, he is a ball of energy. Mine. Yeah. Wow. I was like, yeah. I, I had to take Ready a breath after all. Yeah, that was, that was intense. <laughs> yeah. So talk to us about that idea of, of ego, everyone's greatest obstacle. Yeah. How, did, what, how did you come up with that idea? Was Is that yours? And then where did it come from? Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I think ego and the, the acronym came for me on accident. Because here's what I found is, uh, is all the work that we, we push forth towards doing, there's always something in the way, right? There's something we can sometimes give it a specific name. Sometimes we can't name it. We just can't move ourselves to do it. And in order for something to be in the way, we have to be going towards something. So I got to go towards this thing I desire from the place I currently am that I don't want to be. And so that thing is, is this really interesting, we'll call it action must be taken. But what happens is I meet the action and go, oh, I don't want to do that. It's hard to do. It's difficult. I call it an identity wall. It's not who I am to do this thing. And then what happens is ego rears its head because ego will be the thing that goes, look, 
you can't climb that thing because you're not doing X, Y, and Z. And that is a poke on the ego. And the ego goes, oh, no, no, no. I don't want you to attack my identity. I, I don't need your help. I'm smarter than that. I'm good here. I got whatever it is. And it rears its head. And what it does is it makes you stop doing what needs to be done to move past that wall, to get closer to your thing. So when I say it's everyone's greatest obstacle, it shows up in the actions to protect the current identity and stop it from climbing the wall. What I mean by this is you are some, yes, who am I? I am this guy. So my ego will show up if you tell me you're not a good dad. The hell I'm not. You're not a good coach. The hell I'm not, right? My ego will show up and protect me by doing good dad things, good coach things. The actions will show up. But the ego will also show up in the actions of discounting, diminishing, downplaying, refuting, refusing, making excuses to not have to accept the fact that this something in that area it's protecting is not that great. So it protects whatever's in there. You're a bad dad, a bad mom, don't communicate well. Again, you'll still protect that. What do you know? I've been, you know, all these things will show up. So ego becomes the obstacle because as long as ego shows up in a way to protect a bad part of your identity, you stay stuck where you're at. For men, especially, ego is something that gets in the way of a lot of our successes in the future. And Prior to today, I would say one thing that I would say a lot would be go big or go home, go big or go home. Tell me why I was wrong in saying that. Tell me why I'm Are wrong in saying go my, big or go home. Well, thing. I'm saying that because I listened to you talking about it's oh, you're this talking big about idea, this big, mm-hmm. big thing, this big yeah, idea. Yeah. What, what, talk to us a little bit about why we need to shift shift so, our thought process a little bit that with go big or go home. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's not that I explain it. I, I will believe in my framing of this that, that you miss a piece. And what it is, is I didn't say never go big or go home. I said, I don't go big. I go small in a big way. Right. And so what I look at is those actions you're talking about there. It's not a direct tie to the ego per se. It is because action has to be taken. The people that only shoot for big, right? I go big or go home one time. I'm done with it. I'm going to try it. Well, what happens is you're, you're shooting for that one hurrah. That's like thinking the entire football game is the kickoff. Bah! And then I'm done. It's like, no, it's, it's play after play after play. And those who know football, it's the small individual little things you do that make plays that score points that win games. So when I look at the aspect of going big, like, I'm, I'm about going bigger, going home, but that big is going small in a big way. So as opposed to going big, like I'm going to take one shot this month and do my thing. And that's what I'm focused on all month. I go, Hey, I'm going to go bigger, go home on my, on my breakfast this morning, making sure it's clean. I'm going to go bigger, go home on making sure I get my kids up and say good morning, and take them off to school. I'm going to go big uh, in a small way. I'm making sure that I've, you know, I get my quick workout in whatever it is. So I'm going to go bigger, go home, but on that small thing every day. It's just showing up big in the moment for small things and progressively doing them to where they become who you are in time. And those little things are the big things. Ultimately they are, they always lead to it. That's there's, there's no one I know. It's well, his thing. I, I talk a lot about identity. And if you think about it, it's essentially the capacity to expand. It's, it's literally like, it's, I think one of the things we're missing nowadays is the, the framing that we have all this information, but it's not an, it's not an information issue. It's a capacity issue. Most of us, can't handle all the stuff we want. And if you think about, you know, building, growing different things, like as a human, if you just get thrust into stuff and you don't have the capacity to handle it, you lose it, period. And then if you want to achieve that, you must garner the capacity to handle the hardships, good things, all that 
to build up. That's why, for example, people that win the lottery, they just get a windfall of money. It usually disappears. They don't have the capacity to understand it, to handle it, to deal with it. So it disappears. It flows through the holes. But those who can build up and earn that much, they'll end up making more. Like it's, what is the difference? The one person built up the capacity to handle it. So this, this go big or go home idea you're talking about, we go back to the small things lead to big things. The small things put you in place to where you can do it consistently, but it's always presenting you with a little bit of a stretch to expand your capacity, a little bit of a stretch to expand your capacity, like a, like a rubber balloon. If I blow the balloon, once I get past that mark, it goes open. It can't return back to its original size. It's just, it's just that size now. I could put air into it, but the capacity to put more in there grows. And that's how it kind of flows for us as humans as well. And that idea of the, those daily things that you're doing, and it, it builds that capacity. It also helps you find balance. Another thing that you talked about recently was this hustle harmony. Yeah, this baby. Idea, so talk to us. What, what do you mean by that? What, like, give us a little bit of, of a taste of hustle harmony. Hustle harmony. Hustle harmony is when you get up in the morning and you don't have, like your calendar is so clean and dialed in that you know you've done the thinking. So you just get to get up and show up and work. You get to float in that space that we all like to be in, which is the hustle. Right. I just I, we love to create. We want to go flow. Right. But I want to know that I'm not having to think about am I doing the right stuff? I want to get in this harmony where I'm doing the right things for the business. So the business is making money. I'm getting clients. People are being impacted at the same time. My relationship is, is amazing. My marriage is good. My wife loves me. My kids have a present father. I'm getting workouts. I'm still coaching clients like all this stuff. And I want to be able to show up and just flow into that daily. And what it turns into is freedom, like time, freedom, money, freedom, joy. And it happens in a space where it just feels good, like listening to a really good song. And so hustle harmony is it's realizing that I don't think we have balance, which says there's a, a weight here and a weight here and a weight here for health, wealth, relationships. And they're all even. Absolutely not. I think that there's times when, like if it's a, a song harmony, think about like the drums are the heartbeat of a song. Like my family is a heartbeat of my life. You know, like my relationship, my wife's like the piano, you know, business might be the guitar in the background. Health could be the hi hat on the, on the, you know, they all have their own that they stand out and together. They create a great song. And in some songs, we would be heavy on the baseline, right? Heavy family with a little bit of the guitar in the background. You can barely hear some pianos, you know, t- you know we'll call it tickling the keys, but then sometimes it's heavy on the guitar and the, and the, you have a little bit of a baseline in the back. You know what I mean? Like it's differences. And the thing is in a song, they can all undulate. One could be higher than the other one at different times and different tempo, and that creates harmony. So life, I believe, between all these things isn't about balance, but how can I make a harmonious song that I enjoy listening to each day? So this is the first time in Building Men that someone said undulate, so I wanted to congratulate you on that. Oh, first I appreciate of all. it. I got words in my brain, I promise. <laughs> and the second thing is my song is, is Humpty Dance by Digital Underground. I don't know mm. what else we would go with from that. What's your song? I if I were to say what's your song, when you think about I that, that's a harmony. Bro, I'm a, uh, I'm, I like baby making music, dude. I like, I like listening to soft. That's like slow jam. You might, you know, make babies too. That's what I do. Cause when I, when I train that I used to, you know, play football and you lift heavy, I would find that the high tempo music would just destroy my nervous system. I'd be like freaking out between sets. So when I switched on some like one twelve back in the day in the middle of a workout, dude, it was a great work. I would kill it in the sets and then be calm between. So now it's my thing. Uh, I don't know, man. I think my mind is like a, like a good Drake song, you know, you got the loving, got the fighting, got the hood, you got a little bit of everything mixed in there. Yeah. And when you're, when you have that music on, I mean, the hip thrusters, then it's gotta be your, one of your main workouts. I mean, yeah, it's gotta yeah. be. 
in the home garage, you have those little, little band hit presser guys from, uh, you know, Dr. Brett, Brett thing and then Brett something. We got some of that stuff, man. We get down, dog. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So let's go back in time a little bit to, to that high school time frame. Yeah. You, you talk about there was there was this distinct moment in your life where you were you had your head down in class. Your hoodie was up. You're hearing a girl talk to you. She was blaming going through foster care for the way she showed up, the way that she was showing up. It was all about that. It's because of something else, because of this, this victim mentality, victim mindset. And as an aside, you just recently had Mark England on the OSHA podcast. Yeah. We've had Mark on twice. He's just this language guru, changes the way you think about the way you talk. Yeah. Totally the great mind shift there. So talk yeah. to us a, about at that time in your life, now you're developing your sense of identity. You're developing your sense of what it means to be a young man and your, your sense of masculinity. What was your thought around being a man at that time in your life? So what did, what did masculinity mean to you when you were in that 14, 15, 16 year old time frame? I don't even know if I had a term for it, man. I think it, what was exemplified to me was, was my, you know, I had a father, like he was, when I grew up, I had a foster dad, you know, he was being my, my adoptive dad. He just, he knew how to work, man. My mom got diagnosed with MS. And so what I knew was just work to make money. That was it. Like just, he was, he'd be literally would be gone by four in the morning. He'd be back by like six or seven. He'd be in bed by like eight. You kind of barely saw him, especially if it was like, you know, sports going on for football. So what ended up happening was I just kind of, my example was you just, you just put your head down and work and you, you don't, you know, do anything except for that. And you just focus on making money so the family can be fed. So that was my example. Interestingly, at the same time, you know, I'm in football. So, you know, at this moment in time when I have my head down, right, I'm just looking at like, I can't live up to what I'm supposed to live up to be great. Cause I was at that point watching all these guys that are around football, you know, football coaches and the players and stuff. And it was uh, you know, hard nose, rugged, you know, you work hard, you ball out, you, you just, whatever it was, you just, you kill yourself. And the more you can do it and then, you know, make some plays, you're celebrated. So I don't think I had a clean line of what, like, I guess manliness was, you know, or masculinity was to me. And, uh, and if I go back and look at it, it was just a matter of like, you just work. There's, there wasn't a bunch of positive and joy when I kind of looked at the aspect of what did it mean to be a man? When you're, when you talk transparently about your relationship with your wife, with your relationship with your children, I love when you talk about parenting decisions that you make a, a father of a 16 year old, a 14 year old, an 11 year old myself. And even with my brother, Anthony, there was a time I was very young man. And I had a pseudo role as a, as a brother slash father figure to Anthony as, as he was growing up. I love when you talk about decisions that you make as a parent, one being taking technology away from your children. You know, like yeah. you, you're very steadfast in that, like, listen, this is, these are the rules of the household. And then you also recently were talking about motivation with your son, trying to get him to go to the gym. So talk to us a little bit about um, if there's parents that are out there listening, advice you might give to, to someone who's struggling with kids that are in their teenage years right now. Man, there's a whole lot of different things. Everybody's different. These kids suck. They're amazing. They're amazing. <laughs> they suck at the same time. They all got their own little issues. You know what I've found is you can only, you can give so much, but then the kids, you can't rob them of their hardships. And they need to get themselves in positions to do things, to experience hardships. They can learn lessons. That's really what I think it boils down to. <clears throat> and so what I do with my kids is I realized Stephen Covey had a really great statement. And he says that you must treat everyone the same by treating everyone differently. And for me, I treat them all different. It's not always the best for each person. It's not always best for the other ones, but I found that that's really what has allowed us as a family to kind of anchor. My youngest son is a tornado, bro. He's just, I love him to death, but he pisses me off so much, so much. It's like, 
It's like he thinks of everything he shouldn't do and does it. I don't even, like his brain's tuned to chaos, right? My oldest son, chill. He never creates problems, but he never goes after things with the amount of vigor that he needs to based on the goals he sets for himself. He wants to go play division one, run division one track. I'm like, cool. I play division one football, play in the NFL. I kind of have an idea of what it takes to compete at the division one level. He's not doing that work. And so I'm telling him like, it's going to be a rude awakening when it comes time for college and you're not going to Oregon or Florida or Texas. Like you think you want to, because I went there and how it works, bro. When you're sitting here playing your anime games or whatever you're doing with your boys and your homies, like they're outside working, working. They are not going to let you win. You don't deserve it. Like how Mike Tyson told his son, bro, you can't go box. You don't, you didn't go through what these kids went through. Right. So there's that grit that's missing. And then my daughter, She's an amazing swimmer. She puts her head down and works. I just don't know who the hell she wants to be today based on her clothes. So these kids are all different. And my job is to love them where they're at and to give them lessons from the situations that they put themselves into and run into. That's all I can do. I show up in ways and go, okay, what, what do you want? They do this. And I go, hey, just so you're aware, here's a little lesson, you know, and I, I talk to them and they're like, damn, I'm tired of the lectures at dinner time. I'm like, it's cool. But one day, one day you're going to look back and go, damn, my dad, man, he was right. I was like, do you know how much people pay me to listen to me talk? You get it for free every day at dinner. Can you, can you get on this page? Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> That's such a great point. I, our, our kids have said the same exact things to us as well. I, my kids have said the same thing about the lecturing piece. I absolutely love that. What a great point about robbing children of hardships. I talk a lot on the podcast about being a former principal, understanding I was working in very affluent areas as a principal. Parents would come in and they would argue grades. They would argue, they would come and try to solve the problems for their kids. And I would say, listen, you are robbing your child of the opportunity to understand how resilient they could possibly be. If you're not letting them go through those struggles, those challenges, they're not going to be able to understand how to do it as an adult. Then all of a sudden they're 27, 28 years old. They're facing hardship for the first time and they don't know if they have the capacity to deal with it and to understand it. So mm -hmm. kudos to you. I absolutely love that idea. Yeah, you, mentioned, you mentioned your you reconnected with your father when you were 20, your biological father, when you were 20. Yeah. So I can't imagine how the, the emotions that you were feeling during that, that interaction with your father, what, I don't even want to say, what did that conversation go like, but what, as a young man, did you, do you wish that you had heard from him at that hmm. point when, and during that conversation? Yeah, I was indifferent, man. I think, I guess when you watch enough TV shows and movies, you assume that everybody goes, I just wanted my dad to say, I'm sorry. And yeah. I, you know, I was, and I didn't have that. Uh, I didn't care <laughs> to be honest. I didn't have a big drive to find him. My, at the time, my fiance, current wife, she was there and she was the catalyst to me asking my biological grandma for my real dad's last name. Cause I just, I didn't know his name or his first name. And she, she kept pushing me to do it. I was like, I'd ask, she'd say, no, look, she said, no. Like she was the one pushing me to finally extract it. Then when I called him, it was like this, you know, I, I didn't even assume he was my dad. I was just like, Hey, do you know this woman from this era? Yeah. I said, do you know she was pregnant? Yeah. I said, it might be your son. He goes, okay. And then like, it was a conversation. Now I had nothing in my head of what I wanted, but what I heard was, was great. It was like, Hey, I didn't know you existed. I apologize. I'm sorry. I wasn't there. And I got to know him. I didn't, I didn't have these desires to tell him off like, you know, drumline when Nick Cannon goes to see his dad at yeah. the ticket booth, you know, like I wasn't, I did it all without you, you know, because it wasn't, wasn't necessary. However, I found out, you know, nine years later, he did know about my entire life. He just didn't know how to say it when I first reached out to him. And I get that. But I think at a certain point, I'd established it in my head that I was, I was going to be fine. You know, regardless of what had taken place in the past, I, I didn't, 
I think whenever we have the victim mentality, we the victim says, you wronged me, you hurt me, you did this wrong, therefore I don't have X. And I think when I look at those moments, I didn't have the feeling I didn't have X. In fact, I was like, I don't know how I got it, but I'm a damn superhero right now. Look at me. I'm in college. I'm, I'm balling. I got, I got it. I didn't, I wasn't lacking something. Therefore I didn't feel like a victim. I didn't feel like I needed something. He didn't give me. Therefore I would create this angst, anxiety, and this, you know, I guess this disdain for him. Cause he, you robbed me of this. I shouldn't have that. And so when I called him, it was kind of like, Hey, introducing you to a really cool human being sucks. You weren't around, but look at, I'm dope. Do your kids have a relationship with your biological father now? No, nah, he passed uh, about shoot, I don't know, like five or six years ago, I want to okay. say now. Yeah, he passed. Uh, good. He's a good guy. You know, a Nigerian. It was just, I guess I found a Nigerian thing to do that. I didn't know. So, uh, yeah, he just kind of, he was around. I talked to him once a year. You know, I have a sister and a brother on that side, not very close at all, but there's a connection. And yeah, no, they didn't have much of a connection, really. There's, there's this idea of as, as fathers, as parents, we want the best for our kids. Obviously you mentioned about not robbing our children, these experiences, but there's also this level of, of guilt that we feel as parents, things that are we doing things for ourselves? Are we pushing more chips into the center of the table for our children? Mm -hmm. One thing that you talk about a lot is the idea of guilt and the difference between toxic guilt and guiding guilt. So talk to us a little bit about the difference between those two. Yeah. yeah. Toxic guilt and guiding. So Guilt is this thing that I don't think we comprehend becomes a very vicious breaking emotion. Men get it. Women get it. Women get it. And it turns into shame a little more than men, which is difference between guilt and shame is I did something wrong or I am something wrong, right? Shame is a bad place to go, but there's this guilt that we don't realize is always floating, whether it's guilt from something in the past, like, you know, I have guilt from the fact that my marriage fell apart at a time, you know, I have guilt from not being a great dad. Uh, there's guilt from the fact that I, I, I didn't quite get what I wanted to get accomplished in the NFL when I was playing before I got hurt, right? We have these little areas of guilt and some of it's toxic, some of it's guiding. Now, toxic guilt is the guilt that is, is burrowed so deep that you run from it. However, when you're running from it as a fuel, we'll call it it's this thing driving you in a negative way, right? It, it eats away. It's yourself, your self pride, your self confidence. It makes you believe you don't deserve very much. Or if you do get it, you'll, you'll lose it. So you don't fight for it, right? It becomes this thing where you can, you honestly become self deprecating because I did this thing. I don't deserve much. So I'm always going to you know, put myself in a position to punish myself. Right. And this toxic guilt is something that, that seeps into our lives. And some people never rid themselves of it. And on top of that, because of what they do from it, they're perpetually creating more and more guilt. And it could be something as simple as like, I, I want to get in better shape, but I keep eating candy bars. So I eat because I'm unhappy. I'm unhappy because I eat, right? It's that weird, vicious, yeah. toxic guilt. The other side's guiding guilt. Guiding guilt is this thing where I believe we operate sometimes outside of guilt. Oftentimes, I don't think everything we're doing is because we're guilty somewhere. But there are things that I do decision-wise that because of a past guilt that I decided to rectify or a desire to not lose integrity or not want to have unfulfilled potential, I will do things because, you know what, I, I know in the past when my son wanted to play a game, I was focused on work that I said no, and I, that was a bad guy back then. I don't want to be that guy. So my son just asked me want to play. Let's do it, son. I put things down. We go do our thing, right? And I'm guiding myself to a better place because of that past guilt. It's become guiding guilt now. I've taken it out of the space of toxic. And so for us as men, a lot of us have this guilt that we just bury because we're never taught how to deal with it, how to answer to it, how to, how to live from it. We, we, we want to punish ourselves because of stuff that we did, right? We just think it's what you got to do. And we never go, you know, and I want to be a better man. 
And I think what I need to do is guide myself better because of that guilt. And so while it may never completely disappear, it's, I mean, it may never go anywhere. I can damn well use it as a, a source of positivity in the future. So outside of guilt, you mentioned that's something that men are, that are, we're challenged with right now. It's something you probably see in your own coaching business. What's another area or two that men are really struggling with. If you were to look at things in a stereotypical kind of way, men that you're dealing with, it's another area or two that, that people are struggling with. Uh, it's always going to be one, but the comparison monster, you know, I think, and this is going to be biased because I'm a man, <laughs> but I think it's a little bit harder to be a guy in this world than a, than a woman. Cause women will be like, but it's hard, you know, when we respect and I'm like, I totally grasp that, but there's a dynamic that I think is missed in some aspects. See in a woman's perspective, in my view of it, there's this realm where like we, they live in a man's world. It's a man's world, right? There's, so we, we leave that in a sense of women who show up, they can show up powerfully and do their thing and kill it. And they're, they're, they're seen as you're operating like a man, right? But they can get things done, but they're really just trying to impress for the most part, like men, I just want to impress men. I can, or if you want to call it that stand out from my legs, do my thing. Men hold a different space because men have to be in a space of, I have to compete against these men in a very interesting manner. Right. And then on top of that, I got to be desirable, stand out for reproductive purposes in the eyes of women. This is why if you have two guys talking about something going back and forth just by themselves, no big deal. Put a woman there. You felt that like, it's a different dynamic when a woman walks in a room just is. But if two women are talking to some guy walks in, like he, Oh, let's keep doing our thing. They'll gossip all day. Right. The dynamic changes. And so I think in the realm of what we're doing as men, we, there's this, these different depths of, of internal, we don't even recognize and realize that we're battling more than most people realize we're battling because we can't be soft. We can't, you know, let anybody see us sweat. Cause you ask, what do I see most of the time? It's this thing of, I can't let anybody see me sweat. The ego gets in the way and so when I'm telling them to do things, try things, oh, I can't do that. Nah, that's not who I am. I'm not built, you know, but dude, that's, that's, what's going to fix your marriage. If you say that, do that, this, you know, that's what's in it, but it's a pride thing. I said, yeah, I get it's a pride thing, but fabulous. He's really smart. He's a rapper, but he's smart. He says, it's okay to lose your pride over someone you love, but don't lose someone you love over your pride. Right. But these are ego ridden things. And so I think a lot of us, we get to the point where when I work with people, it's, it's once they find out what needs to be done, can I get them to do it? And it's going to be something that challenges every part of who they are. And that comparison model, you speak really uh, motivationally about this idea of comparison, but use the analogy of a car, something mm-hmm. wrong with the car. So to, I don't, I don't want to butcher it. I, the way that you I know, say I probably, it, I'll butcher it for you. Yeah. Anyway. Go ahead. Talk to us a little right. bit about that idea. Yeah. So we all have, so there's things to do, right? There's things that got to be adjusted, fixed to us to move forward. So if I'm sitting here, there's a process we use called the shift method. Which, which really dials you in to be able to expand your capacity. We call it visioneering as a skill set sometimes. But the idea is that we all want to, at some point, do better, right? We want to do better things. And so I'll go and I'll say, I'll go, well, how to do better? I'm going to do, I'm going to follow the rock. I'm going to do what the rock does, you know? And like, they'll look at this guy's life and I'm like, cool, I'm going to do this and do that. So they do a bunch of work and they find out they're burnt out in the same place. No more money, no more joy. Relationship still sucks. And they go, why? I did all the things. I got up at four in the morning. Totally cool. Let's take a look at this though. Before you started out, you didn't take a look at your car. He has a car, you have a car. Now they're both not running, we'll say for this moment in time, but he gets his up and running. Well, what was wrong with his car? Well, his car needed new tires. It needed a a, a transmission and the windshield had to be replaced. So what you did is went out and got new tires. You got a transmission, got the windshield replaced. What you didn't realize was your issue 
was you had no steering wheel, had no brakes, had no exhaust. So you went and fixed the things that weren't even bust on your car and wonder why it didn't go anywhere. Well, because you still got no brakes, you know, steering wheel, no exhaust, right? There's just different pieces that you had to work on. And so most men, they don't want to see that they have separate stuff to work on. They don't want to see their stuff. It's an ego poke. It's a pride thing. It's a masculinity issue. And so even just showing it to them in the first place sucks. And then they do say like at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's kind of like you got fooled. When you follow someone and say, do what I did, you're kind of getting fooled a little bit because just because they did it didn't mean that they had the same issues that you had. And it is much easier to fool someone than it is to convince them they've been fooled. And the rock is driving a Bentley, not a, you know, 1987. Yeah. He's got a much different car. <laughs> right. yeah. It's like a, a Saturn with one hubcap missing. <laughs> that car runs great. How dare you? So did, what, did you have a Saturn? Was that no, Megan, had a Megan had a Saturn. It's our sister. Um, on the, on the website, Anthony, when you go through on the, on your website, there's a way to get to know you and it's really well done. And I'm going to ask the building men audience to check out your website because you go through and you, you speak to people. It's like, you're talking to me the whole time you were talking to me, you were trying to diagnose where I was stuck in my life, trying to make shift happen. And you have people go through and they, they come out, they're either a dabbler, a dreamer, a defender or a doer. And then under the doer, there were a couple different categories. Yeah, so, so, and where I came out, I came out as a, a doer and I was right between a rider and a driver. That's where I, that's where yeah. I, I found myself. Um, so talk to us about that framework. Where did you decide that that would be the, where you would um, move ahead as you were working with people? What I was, I'm always trying to find a way to show you who you are. Cause if I can get a way to poke in and be like, Hey, it's who you are. It, it can help you chart a better path to your destination, right? GPS takes into account two points where you want to go, where you're starting from. And then it can draw a blue line. Most people go, I want to know the, the, the destination. And then, then they start moving places. And it's like, no, you don't even have the blue line because you don't have the starting point. So this was a way to get a starting point. Essentially it was, I find that in moments in life that matter defining moments you're met with at the same time, both opportunity and opposition. It may not feel like it, but it's an opportunity and opposition at the same time. If it just feels like an opportunity, is it, all opportunities have something that you don't know. What's the catch, right? There's always something that difficult. You may, I'm going to show you how to make a million dollars this next year. Cool house, shoveling pig crap, you know, like that may be the thing. It's like, oh, okay, I didn't, you know. At the same time, it may be opposition. Man, this, this one problem, I can't figure out how to break through the ceiling of income. It's an opportunity to learn something about yourself. So it's always both. Now, when you look at those two where they intersect, some people do, you know, multiple different things. Some people don't tackle opposition. Well, they don't even see opportunity. So they're, they're in a sense, dreamers, big vision, big goals, can't accomplish anything. It's a big dream. Then you have people that ha can overcome obstacles, no problem tackling stuff. But when opportunity rears its head, they're fearful of it. And what happens here is a person's typically had some success. They're afraid that the next thing that they may take on could diminish their standing of greatness, right? defenders. They defend the position. They'll fight real well, but God forbid I take on the next fight as an undefeated boxer. Cause what if I lose? Uh-uh. They want to do it. Right. The other part's a dabbler. Someone that goes, I'm going to chase the opportunity, but every time opposition rears its head, they shut down and chase the next opportunity. They dabble in stuff. Then there's somebody that goes, I'm going to go be a doer. Like you said, I'm going to go after an opportunity because I know that I can overcome any opposition. And I'm going to overcome the opposition because I know every opposition creates new opportunity. Bro, give it to me. Let's go, right? Different mentality. There are five levels here. Some people go, oh, I'm a doer. I'm just like the rock. No, you're not. I'm not. I'm being honest. I'm not that dude. It's a different level of human, right? 
And so I had to make this concept to get people to grasp that the difference is how you go, right? At the baseline, there are people who have egos who are self-made, right? And I call these people walkers. If we're going from one place to the next place, California to Florida, and you just walk there, well, it may take you a long time. You're self-powered. You probably got to get your body beat up. It's going to be a long journey if you ever make it there at all. The next person's a rider, which is good. You're a little bit above it all. You're still self-powered, but you went and got a little bit of help. You read a YouTube, uh, sorry, watch YouTube video, read a Google article or something. You got some insight. You just garnered a little bit of stuff, but didn't really go to that next level. And to buy a bike is fairly simple. It's not, it's not expensive. Now the next one's a car, right? So I'm a driver. Okay, cool. I can go buy a car, a little bit more investment, a little bit more for the time to get a, a, a driver's license. But this means I'm, I'm a little bit less self-powered. I'm getting a little bit more power externally. This is the person invests in a coach. Um, maybe I go ahead and get a, 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 no, not even a coach. I may invest in a program, an online program. I may buy some books. I'm going to consume some stuff, but I'm not getting the outside help just yet. It's still just me dialing in, right? Then you get to what I call as a pilot. Now, a pilot's different. Whereas a car, yes, can go to California and Florida back and forth, no problem. You still have detours, stop signs, roadblocks. It still happens. I got to go around this stuff and find my way, right? Whereas a pilot is the person that says, look, more time invested, more money investment. I got to get a plane. I got a pilot's license, but I fly over it all. This is the person that gets a coach that joins an actual mastermind, gets a different community, invests in an uncomfortable level, but it helps them rise above all of it. And the problem that you're facing, your coach's face, your mentor's face, they get you past it much faster. No stop signs, no detours, no holdups, right? And we go, great. That's what I want to do. Beautiful. Okay, great. But what about the person like the rock, the, the Oprah's, you know, the big levels? These are what I call astronauts. Again, much higher investment of time to have the, the, the ability to, to be in, in the air, like called as an astronaut in space, as well as the vehicle that gets you there. With those people invest in time and energy, it's like putting money into buying a damn space rocket. Look at Jeff Bezos, quite literally, right? And Jeff Bezos, perfect example of an astronaut. While we're trying to go from California to Florida, they're like, you want to go to Florida? I'm going to Australia. I see something bigger, something better, something grander. So this is where you can choose what level or see where you stand and delineate what you must do to get to your next level. One of my favorite things is just the framework and the way that you make these really intricate ideas work that's very consumable for people. And it makes, and, and like I mentioned, it made me feel like you were talking right to me as you were going through that. I, I would love to get into quickly before the end of the show. I would want to respect your time here as well um, into the Osha podcast. And you, you start every single episode up with, you know, I'm walking around town. I stop in a coffee shop. You sit down next to me. Why am I going to listen to you? Yeah. You gave, you gave the building man audience a million reasons why they need to listen to you and go and listen to this Osha podcast as a podcast host. You know, we can certainly identify with this, you know, as you're, you're in the middle of a conversation, has there been a time that someone said something that, just got at you a little bit where you're like, I want to, I want to get this guy behind the, behind the way in the warehouse. I want to, yeah. or, or has it just been, has it been anything? that's just like rub you the wrong way or just the, the guests my, you've had. In yeah. my podcast, in yes. my podcast itself. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I've had some people that say some really off the wall stuff. Um, you, if you listen to every episode, there's some people that, that start talking about, they talk to God and stuff, which is an interesting podcast. Uh, no, you know, I, I have, there's only been one I didn't air cause it was, it was just, uh, the person wasn't of caliber to be on and nobody told me before they booked them. They somehow got through the filter, but besides that, I actually, I love, I love entertaining ideas. 
Because I, I heard years ago, the mark of a wise human is the ability to entertain an idea without accepting it. And so I've, I've always been able to sit back and like, listen and go, that's hella crazy, but let, tell me more. You know? right. So I enjoy it. Now, when I'm done, I may not go and tell my wife, hey, we're going to go and do this right now, but I've got that information in. And I think the ability that I have as a podcast host has come from that perspective, because you'll notice I'll talk to people, but you may not notice hundred percent, but I always learn something and I bring that into different conversations. And I heard this before. And like, it just allows me to be a well-rounded human because in my real life, I love talking to random people. I actually like having off the wall conversations. My wife hates being around me when I do it, <laughs> but I can talk to almost anyone about damn near anything. And if I don't know about it, I can talk to them about it and learn about it. Right. But that's because of the fact that I genuinely have curiosity. And when somebody says something, I don't go, oh, you're crazy. Like, I don't. I actually listen to it. And I go, oh, really? I'll oh, tell me more with genuine curiosity to find out more. And when you have a person that you're having conversation with that does that, I think it's abnormal because most people hear things that are contrary to their views. And the immediate thing is they have this weird perspective that it's an attack on them and their views now because you have an opposite view and it exists you must have, and I, you must be trying to battle me in thoughts. I know. I just, I don't, I don't believe in that. What are you trying to say? I, I shouldn't believe that. No, I didn't say that. I just said, I don't believe in that. That's all I said, but that's how people think. So because of that, when they can be around a person like myself, who they, they'll say something, I go, Oh, that's cool. Hey, tell me more. Like, I never thought of it that way. Or, you know, I don't believe in that, but like, I'd love to know why do you like have an open, honest conversation. People feel at ease. There's less of this anxiety around, am I going to say someone's going to get me, you know, someone yelling at me? Am I going to get an argument in public, right? Those are the kind of things where, I mean, I've had people in public call me Afro penis with not the penis word. I'm dead serious. It was a new one to me. I was like, that is so creative. I didn't even think of that. Uh, but I like, but I just, in the moment, I was like, that's a, you're amazing. I was in my head. I was like, it was at an airport. I'm like, are you the kind of person I'm supposed to report at the airport? I'm like, that's just, I says creative, good one. But I was like, I don't, it was just very interesting. But like in those moments, I just, I realized that at the end of the day, people are crazy, man. And it's okay. And people are also at the same time that they're harboring and, and generating, you know, energy from a place of, of whatever their emotional space is. So at this point, when people do stuff like that, I've had multiple weird moments like that. I just realized in my head, man, what would have to be going on in this person's life for them to try to dish that out on me? Right. So it's like, even if they're like, I can have a weird conversation, be good. And even if it's an angry one towards me, short of you poking, touching, physically accosting me. All right, man. Like, cool. Like, what do we do? Like, I'm just, I'm going to press on because I'm not going to take, take that energy from you. So yeah, I, I guess in a long roundabout way, the answer is no, I have not had someone on my podcast that rubbed me that wrong. And it's interesting uh, being a fan of the podcast, seeing how people's perspectives, the conversations that you've had have informed other conversations that you have had as a fan of the podcast. It's been really cool for me to go on that journey with you. The last question you always ask is what promise did God made to, to the world when he created you? I would ask you, what promise are you making to this world with this mission that you're on right now? Uh, that God has a bigger promise for me. Ooh, did I just, was that meta? Was that meta? <laughs> uh, you know, my promise has always been like, this is genuinely me. I kid you not. I get up in the morning. I bug, I bug my wife. I bug my kids like this. Uh, I, I just try to operate from a space of not trying to let anybody hide my light, man. Just, I just don't want someone to hide my light. Yeah. They happen. Believe me. I get things that pop into my inbox 
frequently. When you're at the top of the, of the thing, like nothing good comes through your door typically, like unless it's someone sharing something that came through theirs, that was good. So you get the stuff. And so in that, I'm like, you know, what? I'm going to actively choose to be happy and joyful. But as an example and promise to the world, I'm going to go, look, all this stuff happened. All this stuff happened. Some people have had it far worse. Some haven't had it as bad. But in the same capacity, I'm going to be an example of like, you genuinely get to choose the way you want to live. I get to choose what I want to do, how I want to show up every day. And so if I can be an example to that, like, is that the world? That's my promise. I'm going to be Anthony every day, good and the bad. And I'm going to find a way to make sure what I've gone through becomes a thing you can pass through faster. So to my biological brother, Anthony Morrell, do you have any final questions for my, my, my new brother, Anthony? Hey, no. <laughs> I'm be Anthony every day too. But, uh, <laughs> no, my man, the, your perspective is seriously something that will change the world. Just having that, the idea of going into everything with curiosity. I think that's what connects us all. And if we can start looking at it through those lenses, that's really what can put away all the bullshit behind it. Um, but What's one thing that for the building men audience that you would tell them, you know, being in a position where they kind of feel stuck, they need to do something. What's one thing they could do starting today, mm -hmm. to put their life on a, on a better path. Uh, you got to get someone that can poke and praise you. You got to get uh, you got to get someone that's, that has the ability that you respect and put in a certain place in your life that can poke you and tell you things that you need to hear about yourself. So you can actually find out what actions you must take your cars, areas of fix. Right. And that same person should be able to praise you. They should be able to say, Hey, damn good job, man. I see you. I see you working. Right. Cause when the person that poked you turns around and says, good job, it's there's nothing like that amazing feeling. You know, like when a wife says, Hey, you're not, you're not doing this for me. I need you to help me. And then you do it. And she goes, I just want to say, thank you so much. I love you. Like, Oh, overwhelms you. Right. So even as a kid's growing up, we wanted that your parents scolded you. what do you want the most parents praise? Right. So you got to find someone that may not be in a parent position, but like a buddy. So you can be like, reach out to like, Hey man, I'm, I got this going on. And I can, if something happens, let me know. And then when something happens, they let you know, you go, Oh, all right. All right. And they go, Hey, I see you working, man. Good job. Like, Oh, thanks, man. Like you need that person in your life. So Anthony, where could we find you? How did that as a building men audience reach out to you? You go outside and you chant this exact statement. I'm joking. No, uh, go to Instagram, man. At Anthony Trucks on Instagram is the fastest place to find me. And and I don't know when this is coming out, but there's a vote you can do on my on my Instagram to like for the I think Success 25 or something. I'm I'm, I'm part of now. So go vote for me, man. Go. We're, we'll flood it with it with whatever that needs to happen. We'll make sure that all that information is out there for people. I think it's up there now. Go do right. it. Now. We will absolutely yeah. do that now. Uh, for the Building Men audience, building.men on Instagram, buildingmencoach.gmail.com, buildingmen.io is our email address, or our, uh, our website. Our two sponsors are Finish the Race of Power for all things Building Men, our gear, and Become Stronger Industries for badass handmade steel maces. Wanted to truly, from the bottom of our hearts, thank Anthony Trucks, the uh, the man, the myth, the legend. We truly appreciate it. This was a, a great moment for us in the Building Men podcast. Truly appreciate it. Okay. Thank you again, my man, and we will see you next time. Go a step further. I almost, I almost missed it. I, that's my tagline at the end. I got all, I got all fangirl here at the end of the interview. <laughs> go one step further than you thought you can go. We'll see you next time on Building Men. Building Men.